Welcome to the Seamland Podcast, I'm your host Seamland, and today I'm playing you a replay of me being a guest on the Project Red podcast. Project Red is run by my friends Brian and James at Red Light Rising. We talk about all things biohacking, routines and stress resilience. You can also check out Red Light Rising's Red Light devices at redlightrising.co.uk and use the code REDSEAM for a 5% discount. Greetings and welcome back to the Project Red podcast. My name is Brian and with me as always is my friend and business partner, James Strong. How are you doing, James? Really good. Thanks, Brian. Taking each day as it comes. Um, UK is back in lockdown again and, you know, I'm trying to take the positives out of it and I've just had to spend so much time with my family and my daughter and see her grow up. So, you know what? Feeling pretty grateful today. How are you doing? I was thinking about that the other day when you mentioned that the UK was going back into lockdown. I was like, that's great. At least you don't have to go back to work and you can just, you can stay with your brand new baby daughter. I mean, that, that really is a gift, man. When you think about all the parents that, you know, have to put their kids into childcare from you mm. know, the third week and then that's it. So Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, absolutely. Been loving it. And I hear a lot of parents are experiencing the same. I think when you've got slightly older kids though, I think it becomes a bit harder work and I think yeah. it's a bit of a celebration when schools went back, but you know, it's BAU in my household. Awesome and awesome, awesome. Well, I'm super, super excited about today's guest. Uh, today is an old friend of ours, Seam Land. And um, for those that don't know Seam, which is, I mean, most of our audience will be familiar with Seam already. He's, um, you know, probably one of the most well-known biohackers on the planet. I'd say he's incredibly knowledgeable. Um, and what most fascinates me, he's also incredibly young. So I'm always like, I'm always so curious about uh, his, his amazing achievements. Seem, welcome to the podcast. How are you, brother? Yeah. What's up, guys? I'm glad to be on the show and uh, glad to talk with you. Awesome. Awesome. So good to have you, man. We've, um, we've bumped into each other a couple of times over the years and I've got to see you speak a couple of times and it's, um, it's, always, it's always blown me away how deep your knowledge is. And how seemingly wide, you know, your knowledge seems to kind of um, go across the, the health and wellness landscape. Um, how old are you right now, Sim? I'm uh, 26. Uh, yeah. 26. Yeah. Okay. And um, I'm desperate to know, curious to know, how did you end up where you are? Like, what, how, what was your past like, your childhood like, that kind of led you into this? health and wellness sphere that you're in right yeah well how how far how, how, how far back do i want to go like <laughs> which uh i would maybe start with uh like my like childhood like i was born in this uh, small island in the middle of the baltic sea uh, it's called exarema and uh, it's a very like a natural environment and i was like growing up in the countryside and that kind of i don't know uh, enabled me to get, get attain this mindset of uh, wanting to, you know, live in a very like a natural way and uh, yeah, just be curious about the world around me. Uh, but uh, like during my college, I studied anthropology, and that's when I kind of got into like biohacking as a topic and uh, started to learn more about nutrition and diet. Uh, before that, I was also like in the military. Uh, for a year and that's where I kind of also got interested in just like physical fitness and the challenges and uh, exposure to cold and any other kinds of stressors uh, as a way to just build up mental toughness and uh, fitness Uh, and yeah like I started my blog about those same topics of uh, 
improving your health with their diet, uh, different kinds of exercises, and uh, yeah, just this biohacking uh, topic. And uh, it kind of grew on from uh, there. I started my uh, YouTube channel and uh, wrote a few books and uh, yeah, did my own podcast. And uh, yeah, just it's been, it's been growing ever since uh, from there, just gradually. Did you ever think when you were kind of, you know, when you first started with your blog and then, you know, the books and then the podcast, did you, did you think that this was kind of a career that you might want to make or were you just, you just enjoying an interest of yours? Uh, well, I did have the intention of uh, wanting to do this as a living, so to say, and because uh, like I, I, what I wanted to do was uh, just share like information about, uh, let's say, human optimization or human performance optimization and uh, how do you just achieve your potential as a human, whether that be with like biohacking or like mindset and just uh, like self-improvement as a whole. That was like my goal to uh, share this information with, uh, with the world. And the medium that I uh, decided to pursue first was uh, writing. So that's where I you know, decided to start like my blog and uh, decided to become like an author. And uh, the other things uh, like making YouTube videos or podcasts, those things were they came more naturally as a way of, uh, you know, because th those mediums are very popular at the moment. And they're also like very effective uh, ways of communicating. So I just added them into my like skill set, if that makes sense. Uh, so yeah, I, I did have like intention about doing it. Um, like, I, I don't know, like maybe if I didn't have this uh, goal, then I, I would maybe wouldn't have started like social media or something because uh, yeah, like for me, it is um, kind of a main goal is to just uh, share my information and um, yeah, use it, use it as a tool. <laughs> not not mm. like a, mm. not like a, as an entertainment yeah yeah that's um that's a really great point there using social media as a tool and not as entertainment i'm personally i'm, I'm super conscious of that because social media actually gives me anxiety like <laughs> if i if i turn on my phone and i'm like and i'm scrolling aimlessly i'm not exaggerating within 40 seconds or two minutes i start to feel anxious because i'm like jesus like what the fuck am i doing <laughs> And then I then I switch it off, you know, and I and I and I don't. But like you say, as a tool, it's very important, you know. Obviously, for red light rising, social media is a big thing for us, and and just uh, sharing the knowledge out there. Um, I'm always also curious to hear what do you if you come up to someone in the street and they and they say to you like, "What is biohacking?" Do you have a defin definition that you usually use? Yeah, um, I would say it's uh, it's a like a modernized uh, and uh, scientific ancestral way of living <laughs> so it's a kind of combination of uh, technology and science with uh, ancient knowledge and wisdom so it is it is like a very systems way of uh, looking at health and human uh, the human body and using it to achieve like a particular goal and almost like i would maybe like to if i were to say like only a single phrase to describe biohacking then it would be like modern alchemy <laughs> like uh, you know using whether that be some supplements or some other ingredients to achieve a certain, uh, I don't know, state of mind or a state of performance and uh, physiological condition. So it is a way of just, uh, you know, the word manipulating may sound, you know, somewhat uh, negative, but it's, it is in a way that's exactly what you're doing with like red light or with uh, taking some supplements or even like drinking caffeine. Uh, all those things uh, are just manipulating your body for a particular effect, uh, whether that be like fat loss, cognition, uh, longevity, better sleep, better mood, uh, and that sort of thing.
Mm. And that's, um, that's also a great point because, you know, I always, whenever we do a podcast, like, you know, we're doing one with you now, which I know you could take us down the, the deepest, deepest rabbit hole. But I always think about like, what would, if there was someone that was listening right now, that's never, this is their first time hearing about biohacking. This is the first time hearing about health optimization or ancestral stuff. I always try to make that connection. Like you've just said, like the whole idea of health optimization is that you, you can choose to do something because of the, the scientific fact that will then cause your body to react in a certain way. You know, so the most basic one, I suppose, is you drink a coffee and you, woo, you get that, you know, that, that sudden energy burst and that like mental co cognition like fires on. So that's something I always try to share. Like the reason why we do all these weird and wonderful things that on the outside, they look so weird to people. Um, but the reason why we do them is because they do have these profound effects um, on our, like you say, our physiology, like biochemicals inside, like something's changing, something's getting better something's being boosted mm. um which is having a positive effect on our lifestyle and um i was telling my housemate uh, before we got onto this podcast i said to her you've got to look at seems uh, sleep numbers because he regularly posts sleep scores with like two hours of deep sleep two hours of REM sleep heart rate variability that's nearly 200 milliseconds and it's just like i'm like what the like my <laughs> highest heart rate variability is like 75 on a good day, I'm like, look, 75. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about your day-to-day -day habits, hmm. a day in the life of scene? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, depends on the particular day. Uh, but I do, let's say, there are certain like non-negotiables that I do want to uh, keep in my everyday. So this concept of non-negotiable is a, like a habit or a routine that I would do no matter what. Um, uh, it's because it's uh, like I prioritize it a lot and uh, just do health need to you know maintain health as well as uh, achieve my certain goals uh, so for example of that would be like some aspects of uh, time restricted eating uh, or independent fasting so i don't really eat you know three meals a day or something i usually eat only you know on most days i eat like once a day but on some other days i maybe eat over the course of like five or uh, six hours so uh, it's a relatively like a narrow eating window so that's for, for me uh, like, of course, there are like a lot of health benefits to this, but I would also do it even if it didn't have any health benefits, because it's a very convenient way of eating. And uh, for me, it uh, gives me a lot of freedom and productivity. So that's why I do it. Uh, secondly, I also try to do something uh, physical every day, some form of exercise uh, on like a heavy workout day. I'll do like resistance training with weights or uh, calisthenics uh, or some on like rest day, lighter day, I'll do maybe some like cardio or I'll go like cycle uh, around the around the island and uh, then uh, I'll also maybe on, on some other rest day I'll do like blood flow restriction training as well with these cartoon bands so I'll do like something uh, every day uh, whether or not it's going to be like a hard workout depends on uh, like the overall um, weekly workout routine and uh, what what I did the previous day so if I had like a hard workout the, the, the night yesterday then I would do like a easy recovery day this day and uh something mm -hmm. harder again the you know tomorrow so it's always like cycling mm -hmm. but i generally try to try to get like a sweat on um on a daily basis and the sweating can also come from like saunas so uh, i'll do like uh, basically some form of this hyperthermic conditioning or a sauna oh like almost like every day uh, i may i may skip like one to two days a week but uh generally i do it uh, every day like whether that be with the infrared sauna 
or uh, the, the traditional uh, Finnish sauna. So I'll kind of use uh, both of them. And um, so, on, of course, uh, in addition to the, like these health practices, I also do like what I what or like not what I call, but you know, Cal Newport has the concept of a deep work, which is uh, basically this undisturbed uh, period of working where you are fully immersed by your this like most important thing that you need to do for that day, and uh, just not being distracted by the outside world, and you're just immersed with the work. And uh, my deep work period is usually the first thing I do in the morning. Uh, right after waking up, like I'll go for a short walk, uh, but I'll start working basically right after waking up and I'll you know, do it for like maybe four or five, five hours uh, in a row to try to just kind of eat the frog, if that makes sense, to get the most important mm -hmm. task of the day done um, when I don't have like other distractions and where my mind mm -hmm. is the most fresh. So that's what I think mm -hmm. I would be somewhat of a, like a regular, uh, regular day in, in my life. Like I would do uh, work, uh, work on my, you know, my writings and uh, other, other things uh, I'll do exercise and uh, some fasting and yeah just some form of like recovery with like saunas or ice baths even and you know radar therapy is also there so yeah, yeah just doing doing both like a physical and a mental let's say exertion that's um that's super interesting what you said there because um I've I've been playing around with my daily schedule as well and I think I've been getting it slightly wrong, to be honest, because I, you know, I wake up and I, w I wanted to ask you, what time do you wake up, Sim? Uh, well, I wake up like maybe six or seven, something like that. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm waking up before the sun comes up. So it's still pretty dark and I have a cup of tea and then, I, you know, I slowly just kind of move around, do a few little chores and then I relax and drink my tea while the sun is coming up and then I've been kind of going for a walk on the beach and doing some mobility work on the beach and, and some stretches and then, you know, coming back and then maybe eating some food and then starting work. But I've been thinking the last couple of days that maybe I should do what you do and just have a very, very short morning routine and actually start work at like six in the morning and do, you know, like you say, maybe three or four hours, but, What's your what's your position on working for such a long block of time? So you say like four to five hours in a row. Are you is that like forty five minutes of hard work and then fifteen minutes just to walk around a little bit and then another forty five minutes? Or are you sitting down for five hours nonstop working? Hmm. Um, well, I think uh, depends on the individual and how they like to work um, or like maybe how their brain is wired. Uh, I do think like you you can you know rewire your habits as well as like your concentration habits. Uh, like I used to also have like a more a thorough morning routine, like, like I would uh, meditate for maybe like a half an hour. I would do maybe like a few yoga poses. I would uh, journal. I would uh, yeah, like uh, have like a pretty longer morning routine and then get to work. But then I was thinking like I'll, I'll scrap it. So I, I like I felt like I didn't need to do all those things to stay productive and uh, stay you know uh, in my zone uh, for the rest of the day. So I just uh, skipped it. And I didn't. I haven't noticed like any difference. I've actually even felt better because of like I'll, I'll get more things done, and I'll uh, yeah. I, I I feel like your routines should never be, like uh, you shouldn't never feel that you need to have your routines in order to be optimal. Yeah. You would want to be, yeah. you know, fully functional and fully optimized, even if you didn't get to do your routines. Whether that be like you should be able to focus on your work without having drunk uh, coffee, or you should be able to 
yeah, get things done with, with, without getting all your eight hours of sleep. And you should be able mm-hmm. to yeah, feel great without, you know, checking your Instagram and some, or something else uh, mm-hmm. to get your likes or something. So you always want to be in this anti-fragile position that no matter what happens to you, you're still able to perform and uh, do the thing that you know you need to do. And it's so very much conditioned. Like it, it is a habit to be able to perform without your routines. And part of it kind of requires you to break up your routines every once in a while, while as well to not be this very in this very like dogmatic state that you have to follow everything to the T. You have to like you have to tick every box uh, on your list of to do's. Uh, you want to be in this mm-hmm. position where you're able to do it even, you know, without doing those things and feel great uh, regardless. So that's why I think, you know, breaking your routines every one, often is a good thing every once in a while. Uh, but uh, the way I like to do it is I just, uh, you know, sit down and I'll start working. I don't do it like this entire five block in one sitting. I may have like a few, um, you know, movement breaks. I'll go outside for maybe uh, five minutes to get like sunlight. That's also like a huge practice of, uh, you know, going out frequently to get the circadian rhythm optimized and synchronized. I'll do like the vibration plate maybe, maybe to get my lymph flowing. And yeah, something that to kind of break the routine, but I don't, I don't break it any for any longer than like 15 minutes or something. I don't, I don't, I personally don't uh, think that I could be very effective if I do something like the Pomodoro uh, technique where you're working for only 20 minutes and you take a 10 minute break because like 20 minutes for me is like, I'm just getting started. <laughs> so I'm like only warming up. So I'll have to take a break. So I, I feel like that would be like less uh, effective for me because uh, yeah, like a, uh, the, the kind of kind of things that I do is, uh, you know, writing a lot and editing and creating content. So for me, I kind of need this uh, longer period of um, kind of going into this focused state uh, mm. where I will be like fully immersed up by the thing. And yeah, I'll, I'll only take a break if I like get zapped out of this uh, flow uh, or if I notice that I've been, you know, standing or for like too long. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's consistent across both your morning routines, though, is, is that exposure to nature in the morning mm, i asked yeah. a really important thing i know for me personally if i get outside and do anything not only is it relaxing it's meditative you get an exposure to light setting that circadian rhythm i think that acts and kind of encompasses everything you try and achieve in terms of movement light and everything else and mm-hmm. as long as that remains then i think that's a great consistent thing that we're seeing across everyone that we speak to is that exposure to nature as soon in the day as possible yeah um in your introduction, you're incredibly modest and you just said, oh, I've written a few books, but you've written almost, I think it's a dozen books or maybe more now. Is that right, Seem? <laughs> well, uh, some of them have like a similar topics covered. Uh, I would say maybe, yeah, like at least five, I would, what I would consider like actual books. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay. That's incredible for someone so young. And again, you, you've talked a lot about getting into that focused state. And I think that's that's like a flow state for you when you're in the zone, you're focused. You know, is there anything you could share with our with our listeners about how you achieve that state? And is there anything you're doing or taking to to really, you know, hone in and be able to be that that strict and diligent with your time mm. to achieve, you know, the, the great things you have already mm-hmm. at such a young age? Yeah. Well, uh, I think uh, for me it has been just the result of you know sheer practice and a lot of repetition um like um yeah like uh, it wasn't like something that i was born with or <laughs> like it definitely had to be uh, developed uh, to be able to focus a lot on one thing uh, i think that just the biggest thing is to just create this environment where you are uh you know where it's easier for you to stay focused so that would mean that you don't have 
your uh, Instagram on or you don't have your messenger on, you don't have, actually I keep my phone on like the airplane mode, basically the first half of the day when I am working so that nothing uh, could disturb me. So it's like, just like easier. You could try to, like, I, I, I think like I can probably work like in a subway as well. Like <laughs> I, could, I could probably write and in, in, a, in a subway where it's very noisy and when a lot of people are distracting me, but you know, not if you're, you know, if, you, if you're struggling with this, then it's much easier to just make the environment as, uh, you know, focus friendly as possible. So that's why just controlling your environment is the first thing to do. Uh, I, not, I'm not a fan of like, you know, yeah, yeah, you could consume things like caffeine or some nootropics to enhance your focus, but I'm, I'm personally of, of the belief that I don't want to be dependent of any of these substances or any of these things. Uh, we even like meditation, I don't want to be in this spot where I need to meditate or where I need to take caffeine in order to be able to focus. I want to be, I want the, the aspect of focus to come from my own just mindset and my own brain, if that makes sense. I want this to kind of be very, uh, you know, uh, very natural as a part of my skill set. And the skill set is the result of my routines and habits. So I'm focusing mostly on just being consistent with it and, uh, yeah, making it as a part of like my own um, way of being. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. That's, um, sorry, were you going to say something, Jay? I was just, I'm reading a book by Jim Quick called Limitless, and he talks a lot about motivation and having a reason and a purpose, and that seems to drive people on. I mean, have you got your own purpose? Have you got something that underlying everything that's driving you to achieve these things? Um, well, uh, I don't have like any like a real specific goal that you can, I can identify, but it's more on the lines of um, just uh, what, like I, I want to make sure that us as a human species don't mess up <laughs> and we, go in, we don't go into like this uh, dystopian future where like, you know, you know because of, like with the biohacking and the biotech, there's a lot of potential for things to go wrong and uh, like uh, people can lose their, I don't know, freedoms and human rights because of, you know, big tech and uh, whatnot. So I want to just make sure that uh, when we go more of this into this future society, we don't uh, yeah, mess things up. So that's kind of my goal of being, um, mm. I don't know, like a guardian <laughs> or something that's going to protect against uh, people taking advantage of others and uh, whatnot. Awesome. Um, I was going to ask you as well. I, um, <clears throat> I was thinking about this concept of like, you know, what we, this biohacking where we kind of, you know, we, we limit as much toxicity as we can, whether that's toxicity in the form of light or food or environments. You know, we, as biohackers, we tend to start looking at everything with how it affects our health and trying to make everything as good as it can be to be as healthy as we can be. But then that got me thinking like, I, some of me can't help but feel that that's also a form of fragility. Because suddenly then, you know, you're looking around and you see everything as a toxin. You see everything as a problem. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's, that's the best way to be either. What do you think about that? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I agree. So that you, you can really um, end up being afraid of everything. Like you can be afraid of carbs or you can be afraid of canola oil or, uh, <laughs> or uh, yeah, like EMF or whatnot. So that I would never want to be living in this sphere. And I do think that it does predispose you to more damage from those things. Like if you are... Uh, you know, ruminating about the potential harms of 5G or, uh, you know, these other toxins, then uh, it kind of keeps you in this 
chronic low-grade stress all the time. And uh, I, I believe, you know, fearing things and being anxious about those things would be probably a lot harmful than uh, staying calm about it, so to say. Uh, of course, you wouldn't, you know, want to deliberately expose yourself to like chemicals or these other toxins. But at the same time, you know, if it does happen every once in a while, then you shouldn't be like distraught about it uh, or be afraid mm. of it. So it's, it does, it does um, kind of uh, require a lot, some, some aspects of like care reason, uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, we are still, you know, going to die and uh, there's not going to be, uh, yeah, like it's going to be pretty, uh, you know, there's not going to be a lot of things that you can do about it. And, uh, but when it comes to like, you know, less, less toxic things like, you know, carbs or cake, birthday cake, then that's actually, I think that can also be a good ha habit of anti-fragility, so to say, that <laughs> you're not afraid of, I don't know, eating birthday cake because you know it's, you know, can be somewhat beneficial and you're getting this small amount of like gluten, small amount of those carbs, and it can improve like your metabolic flexibility. And uh, if you're, mm. if you're like doing it consciously, then it can be also great, like a break for your uh, mindset. So I do believe mm. that constantly obsessing about things uh, is, is not like the anti-fragile uh, position. Mm. It's um, it does really bring on that that I love that that phrase the low grade chronic stress, you know it can be kind of summed up as worrying, worrying yeah. all the time, worrying about everything, um, and, and in fact becoming fragile. I know some biohackers that I, I really like very much, but they they are very fragile, you know, because of very real reasons because they had did have such horrendous health problems that what made them turn to biohacking, but. You know, they're just so fragile that it's it's difficult to kind of <clears throat> spend it's it's great spending time with them but it's difficult because you can't just go out to a restaurant you can't just go out to grab a coffee because it has to be the best coffee in the world otherwise it's going to give me a headache right. you know you can't just go and grab a steak because it's like well i don't know if this is grain fed uh, you know it really upsets me so it's it's definitely a form of fragility that like when when i experienced it i was like whoa like this you know this this isn't good um, but, uh, so your time restricted eating, do you now as part of the circadian rhythm, you know, I think one of the, one of the major markers of, of your circadian rhythm is, is the timing of your food. And I believe that it's recommended to have your meals, whether you're having one, two or three meals a day, it's, it's recommended to have them at the same time every day because your body gets into that habit where it knows at 9am, I'm going to have some food. How do you manage your time restricted eating? Also, it's a big question. Also, in regards to your training, are you are you consciously eating to suit the level of training you're doing? Yeah, uh, I do uh, try to you know uh, structure my, my meals around uh, my workouts. So if I'm not working out, then I choose to just uh, fast as a way to just uh, take advantage of it uh, because uh, I do believe that your you know demand for calories and food uh, does increase in proportion to your like physical exertion and uh, physical activity so um you know that's why i don't really eat uh, throughout the first half of the day because i don't uh, do a lot of physical things uh, i only you know walk i take some time off uh, i don't do like anything hard and i only work out in the afternoon uh, or i do cardio at that point so i'll in on most days i'll have like my meal around in the evening maybe like 7 p.m or something and and on some other days, I may have like some small lunch or some bone broth or something. Uh, but usually, yeah, it's it's my after my uh, workout. Um, 
which which the workout mm. itself is in the afternoon, maybe like four or five p.m. and and the meal is then around seven. And so with that, with that for you, does that kind of signify the end of your day? So like you're you're finished working, you've had all your productivity, you do your workout, you have a big meal, uh, and then the the evening is just completely to relax, switch mm. off and enjoy. Would that would that be accurate? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like. Uh, that's what I that's my kind of mindset is like I work hard but I also take time to uh, you know rest and uh, wind down so I do it's not like that I'm uh, I don't like watch any silly videos on YouTube or something I do watch them but I do it only on my terms or I do it uh, during my time off so I don't do it uh, when I'm supposed to work so yeah like mm -hmm. I, I think uh, you know it's important to have downtime and uh, yeah the, especially in the evening so I, I don't want to be in this very hustle uh, hardcore mode in the, in the evening because that's when I, the time where I'm supposed to go to bed soon and wind down yeah. so it's a good opportunity to like relax a little bit and uh, prepare for sleep are you strict with the time that you go to bed uh, it uh, it varies a little bit on some nights I'll, on some nights I'll maybe stay up a little later but uh, I usually go to bed like maybe uh, 10:30 is usually kind of uh, where, where, I, where I would like to go to bed on most times. But it's sometimes it may be 11, sometimes it may be 12 uh, or something. Hmm. Is that is that because you decide to do some work or is that because you're enjoying your downtime? So you're maybe reading a book and you just don't really think about it. Uh, yeah, like sometimes sometimes I'll stay uh, just, yes, I'll, you know, do something, uh, but not, not nothing like work. Um, but on sometimes I'll maybe... I'll, I may do it like on deliberately as well every once in a while to again like break the routine if that makes sense to not because like with the sleep as well I want to like there isn't a lot of benefits to sleep deprivation uh, or changing your uh, sleep routine but I personally think that it can help me to stay again more anti-fragile in future scenarios where I would be sleep deprived so if I do it like every once in a while at home then I'm able to tolerate like jet lag and uh, circadian mismatches through other means. Mm. And like, even I, I, I can even like, you know, you know, I can sleep only for maybe like two hours or three hours and I'll be fine the following day. So it's, it's like it does kind of condition your brain and mm. body to handle some aspects of sleep, sleep deprivation. So I'll do it like uh, mm. in a similar way to, to kind of condition the body in, in a small amount. Okay. That makes sense. Um, James, looks like you got a question. So I was listening to Dominic D'Agostino recently talk about his um, compressed eating windows and how he approaches it. And he says it's quite important to pulse these things. You know, your body is very intuitive and very, you know, over time will actually adapt to the stresses you're applying to it. So again, if you're constantly doing one meal a day every day, your body will get used to that and kind of the, the, the major benefits of fasting for such a large window will diminish over time. Yeah. So, so how do you adapt, you know, a more sort of pulsed kind of stress response with your food? I know you mentioned bone broth some days, but do you some days have a breakfast just to mix it up to, again, to keep your body kind of guessing and you know, instilling these, these benefits? Yeah. Um, I do think that the, there is some uh, benefits to this variability uh, and pulsation, but I think, uh, well, for me personally, I can achieve that, through other means as well so like i can do like calorie cycling for instance uh i can do on some days i eat like very low calories and on the other days or the following day i'll eat like slightly more calories so that can also achieve this metabolic effect so you prevent uh this metabolic slowdown so to say you're cycling between calories and uh cycling with carbs is another form of doing it so i eat 
I eat relatively low carb on most days, but I also eat high carbs uh, on other days. So I'll deliver this like spike my insulin and uh, blood sugar high as a way to break ketosis and cause again, this metabolic disruption a little bit to force my body to adapt and uh, maintain the ability to still uh, burn carbs and glucose effectively. Mm. So uh, yeah, I, you can you can do it with changing your eating window a little bit, but I think uh, you can also achieve it with uh, cycling your calories or cycling with your macronutrients. Um, yeah. Cool. So I do compress eating windows quite frequently, um, but one meal a day, I do find it hard to hit my macros for the day. I don't know, if I consistently do one meal a day for a week, for example, I'm dropping weight quite considerably, even though I'm, you know, eating as much as I can at one or two hour window, you know, how have you found your body composition change and how do you ensure on a daily basis, you're hitting your macros and getting appropriate calorie intake? Uh, yeah, well, uh, uh, well, uh, you know, on keto, it's uh, relatively easy uh, because uh, you can just get a lot of calories from less volume of food. Like there's a lot of calories in, uh, you know, fatty meat or bacon and mm. uh, salmon, or you, you can even add like, you know, oils to your vegetables and kind of increases the calorie intake. So I've never had troubles, you know, keeping my weight or uh, building weight or building muscle uh, with the one meal a day. Uh, maybe initially it was, you know, a slight, slight drop in my uh weight uh, because of not being used to eat uh, that many calories in one sitting uh, but after a while i kind of got used to it and uh, mm -hmm. yeah like there isn't like any like difficulties for me to uh, do it at that point or at this point um, and yeah like if i want to drop calories then i can do it very easily by just you know removing some of the fat from the foods mm -hmm. and uh, maybe focusing more on vegetables uh, that are lower lowering calories and the same with like carbs um, you know it's pretty easy to eat carbs um, and, uh, you know, if, even if I do lose weight, then I'll just, I'll just, uh, eat more the following day or something. And, you know, I do get like, like, uh, in terms of protein, like the one key thing for, let's say building muscle with one, one meal a day is that it's hard, uh, to stimulate enough muscle protein synthesis with just one meal. And, uh, you can't really, you know, there are studies showing that you won't, even if you do eat all your daily's protein in uh, one sitting, you're not going to lose muscle at least. But in order to build muscle, then you would still need like an additional meal or an additional weight to stimulate muscle protein synthesis more than just once a day. And so that so for that reason, I drink like a protein shake during my resistance training workouts to get like a second spike in muscle protein synthesis. And that's what I found to be like the most effective way to still be able to build muscle with uh, one meal a day. So I'm getting still uh, two stimulus for uh, muscle protein synthesis, even if I am you know, eating uh, the majority of calories mm. in the evening. Mm. Okay. Um, and are you, do you actively tr like track your macros? Are you weighing food? And are you also like getting body scans to track your, your muscle growth? Or are you just kind of doing it intuitively? Uh, well, I don't like, <laughs> well, I don't weigh my food or something, uh, but I'm like maybe somewhat you know, subconsciously aware of the calories. Like I've, I've done it in the past and it kind of mm. became like an automatic habit because uh, mm. it's a, like a skill set and other skills and that you can look at the food and you can know approximately how many, how, how much does it weigh or how many macronutrients does it have? So it's, um, I don't do it actively, but I do it as a habit and I don't like specifically count it, but I kind of intuitively feel, you know, how much, you know, food do I need? Um, and yeah, on some days, you know, the macros themselves are 
relatively different uh, on different days. Like uh, the range for protein is uh, very variable and the range for carbs is variable and the fat for the fats as well. So I don't really uh, worry about that. Hmm. Okay. Were you going to say something, Steve? Yeah, was, but the, for the body scans, I haven't done any like real body scans. Um, I've only maybe done on some a few events where I've been to where they scan it, uh, but not, uh, nothing okay. uh, like actively. I'll, I'll okay. prefer to just maybe look at the mirror or something <laughs> to see mm. more uh, immediate feedback. Yeah, I think it's kind of... Um... Yeah, I've been I've I've not done a DEXA scan, but we've just I've just done a, a 3D body scan about a month and a half ago, whatever. And I did it like it's not it's not part of this obsession that I like I have to know like how much muscle mass, how much body fat. But I just thought it was fun and interesting, yeah. you know, because I've been kind of doing this biohacking for a while and messing around with fasting and time restricted eating and. I thought it would just be really, really fun to see um, how it's, you know, how my body is shaping up and my body fat percentage and all that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean in, in, in hindsight, it would be pretty good or like a good memory almost uh, where you would see like a progression from like, like a 10 year workout progression. That would be like something to be proud of, uh, you know, later in your life. Uh, but yeah, like people have a slightly negative connotation about tracking or uh, technology and measuring because they feel that uh, it kind of degrades their humanity almost that, that they feel that they're less human if they do track something which i don't really agree with because uh you know biohacking and measuring and uh, technology can actually improve or make you more human uh, by being like more aware of what's going on with your body and actually en enabling you to implement that data into your life so you can you know make your life better and make, make yourself more happier uh, you know, because like Peter Drucker said, what get what gets measured gets managed, and uh, yeah, like if you don't, if you're always like the uh, at the, if you're always controlled by your intuition or something, then you may be leading yourself down like the wrong path. Like you, you how do you know if your intuition is right? It does feel right, mm. but it may not be. Like it may be based upon like false experiences or false data. So you can you could develop your intuition, but in order to ensure that that intuition is right then you also need to have like some objective data and measurements uh that would like accumulate this knowledge and uh, wisdom eventually that you're going to use mm. and it, it it can be a, a slippery slope though i know from my own experience and like just like i commented commented to you earlier about your sleep score um you know I've, I, I track my sleep with the aura ring and i have been for quite a while but I have to cycle on and off, you know, because when I, when I, the first time I decided to cycle off tracking my sleep is because I would go to bed thinking about my sleep score and I'd wake up. And the first thing I do is check my sleep score. And it was always like, oh, right. well, not high enough. You know, it was like, it was like, it just, it felt at that when it became negative, I was like, I'm, I'm tying so much potential joy to what my sleep score says. So then I quit it for a few months and then I, I drastically changed some habits. So then I was like, oh, I'm going to track again and see what happens. And then obviously I felt good because my new habits was, was increasing my sleep. Um, but it definitely can be a source of frustration if you're, you know, if you get too tied to the numbers and, yeah. you know, it, it comes back to that low grade stressor. If you're, if you, if like with me, if you're constantly seeing heart rate variability in the 40 milliseconds, it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, every day I'm like, oh my God. But, um, Something that uh, both myself and James are, are very, um, I, don't know, I don't want to say obsessed with, but like very focused on lately is circadian rhythm, 
um, specifically using red light therapy uh, as, a, as a circadian marker. And we're going to very soon, we're bringing out some blue blockers to kind of, you know, help people uh, further optimize their circadian rhythm. Um, and I totally forgot where I was going with this. What was I going to say about this? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, um, <laughs> I, need some, I need some nootropics. I was going to say, um, what about your sleep hygiene? Because you, you, you have exquisite sleep numbers. And I wonder if that's, you know, mostly due to your sleep hygiene, or is there just you're lucky genetically to be getting such great sleep? Um, well, um, I think uh, a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, my kind of circadian robustness so say like i'm pretty young and uh your let's say your circadian uh, system uh is much more robust uh, when you're young and it gets more fragmented and uh, weaker as you get older and i think like i also have like high you know nad levels probably because nad is the like a metabolite that is uh kind of governing a lot of the circadian rhythms so i i'm young i have high nad so i'm like i can get away with a lot uh, so I don't need to have like everything fully optimized in order to sleep well. I, I can even get like 100 HRV if I sleep for like five or four hours. So uh, you know it's it's a uh, it's because of like I'm because of my age and I, I also do like all the other things uh, right. Um, like I I do fitness. Uh, I do saunas. I do I eat a good, good diet. Uh, I'm not overweight. Uh, so and yeah, like it's, it's all those all those different factors enable me to uh, sleep better. And, um, but uh, I do have like a pretty, you know, you know, like a good uh, sleep routine as well. So I do use the blue blockers in the evening um, to block out the blue light. I uh, have a relatively like a consistent sleep wakefulness cycle. And um, I. What? Sorry, I, I missed that. What you sleep wakefulness cycle or like a bedtime schedule. Um, and uh, I don't like eat immediately before bed. I don't consume caffeine in the afternoon. And uh, I get plenty of sunlight throughout the day. So that, that's what I think uh, is the biggest thing. I did notice like when I started to use the blue blockers initially, then I got like a slight increase in my deep sleep scores, uh, like a maybe 15% increase in my deep sleep just by using the blue blockers. So they do have mm. a good effect and uh, I do I, you know, feel that they work. Mm. Mm. Um, and HRV, seem, the heart rate variability is what that stands for. It seems to be a, quite, a, quite a powerful metric, you know, across all these tracking companies that are out there, you know, now offering these tracking services. Can you tell us a little bit about HRV and, and why it is such an important market to keep your eyes on? Yeah, certainly. Like, it's, like I said, it stands for uh, heart rate variability, and it's the interval between your heart beats. So, uh, like, a healthy heart isn't beating like a clock, or a metronome, uh, it's not like back, 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 back. It uh, has like some variability. Like some some beats have a few milliseconds in between the heartbeats, and uh, some maybe longer or shorter, depending. So it's always like variable. And the HRV measures this variability and gives you like a certain score. And uh, usually, like a low HRV would uh, or low HRV is associated with like you know worse health and even. Um, increased mortality, whereas high HRV means that your body is like recovered, um, it's healthy, it's not stressed out. So if, if you are like in a very monotonous HRV uh, or even like heartbeats, then uh, it kind of indicates that your body is in a stressed out state. So it's uh, beating very uh, regularly, uh, whereas, with, with, whereas with, when it's uh, in a 
parasympathetic state where it's not stressed out, then uh, it kind of enables the opportunity to you know skip a beat or if that makes sense, like uh, have like a slightly more uh, variability. Hmm. Okay, that's super interesting. Um, you recently uh, posted a pic on your Instagram with uh, one of Lee's t-shirts with a nasal, it says nasal on the t-shirt and that's also something that, you know, I think is super cool, uh, mouth taping and, and the focus of people beginning to practice to breathe through their nose more. I've been mouth taping for a few years now and, and really loved it. But, it, you know, even a few years ago, it was like, wow, man, if you tape your mouth at night, you are crazy. <laughs> and now it's now it's, you know, it's coming around. It's like, you know, it's like blue blocking was five years ago, like nobody was right. doing it. Now everybody's doing it. And it's really cool to see because it's, you know, it's these very, very powerful very simple, very cheap tricks that people can do to improve their health. Um, have you got some highlights for us about the importance of nasal breathing? Yeah, certainly. Well, uh, kind of the basic overview would be that uh, humans are kind of supposed to breathe through their nose uh, the vast majority of the time, only maybe not when you're not, or maybe only when you're exercising, you could uh, breathe through your mouth. mouth. Uh, but uh, basically, yeah, nasal breathing it uh, has also like stimulates the vagus nerve and has like this parasympathetic effect. So it lowers stress uh, It improves blood flow by spooling up like nitric oxide in your forehead. So the leak can probably explain it a lot more scientifically, but basically, yeah, like there's this, like a pool of nitric oxide that accumulates here if you breathe through your nose and uh, that nitric oxide helps with uh, blood flow and uh, improves oxygenation throughout the entire body and lower stress again. So uh, yeah, mouth breathing is you know pretty bad if you're doing it on a regular basis, and uh, like sleep apnea is definitely it can, it can cause like sleep apnea and uh, yeah like just other chronic uh, stress-related problems. Okay, and um, for the for people that are listening, uh, mouth taping. I think I'm sure we've spoken about it briefly before, but basically mouth taping mouth taping at night. Uh, some people do it actually when they work out as well. <laughs> just as a reminder um, to like, hey, I'm not breathing through my mouth, even through this workout. I kind of, I think I commented on one of your posts a few weeks ago that I've, I've started like practicing mouth breathing while I'm working out. And it's difficult, man, <laughs> because when you're like, did I say mouth breathing? I meant nose breathing. Yeah. Um, nose breathing. And like when you're so out of breath and you're trying to like mm. breathe through your nose, it's, it feels like you just can't get enough air in. So I like, it's almost like I have to make this weird shape with my face so that my nostrils open up more so I can, <laughs> I can get more um, air going in my, in my um, nostrils. But you actually, I actually felt this like sensation in my face, like these muscles around my head. It was like they were activating more. It was a really strange sensation, but you know, I could, um, it's, it's definitely one of those like disciplined practices yeah. where it's well, like, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, Spartans, uh, used to uh, have these exercises where you would drink a glass of water and you would run like a mile and you would come back and you have to spit the water into the cup again so if and if you uh, and if there, there was like less water than you began with then you got punished so the the idea was that you have the water in your mouth and you <laughs> go for this mile run and you're not supposed to swallow it so it's going to force that this mouth nose breathing and also a lot mm. of uh, you know self control and the discipline that's amazing <laughs> i actually do a lot of my cardio low level cardio nose breathing yeah. exclusively yeah. again it's a really great method that you're not overly stressing your body but again you're putting that you know hypoxic stress in your body at the same time so yeah. you know to be able to be able to keep your heart rate that low in the in the fat burning zone 
Um, and again, just low level stress in your body, which allows you to train more and more frequently. Um, so again, especially when I was coming back from injury, it's like a really good practice to adopt to just to allow you to do more volume and still get the, the cardiovascular benefits. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier on in our chat, I forgot to ask you, um, I think you said that on your lighter, your lighter workout days that you're using blood flow restriction bands. I thought those were to like some stimulate a heavier workload, not a lighter workload. Mm. Uh, well, they do, let's say the blood flow restriction bands do mimic a hard workout um, in a way that they trick your body into thinking that it's lifting heavier weights than it is. Uh, but um, I can, you know, still modify it based upon that. So I'm, I'm not going to max out <laughs> with the blood flow restriction bands. I'll keep at uh, the lighter loads, but with the blood flow restriction bands, you can direct more blood flow into the, the uh, limbs that you're training with, like the arms or the legs. And uh, yeah. yeah, it does promote recovery. So like with the cardio bands, they have like a lot of studies where they um, treat, let's say injuries and uh, like, you know, bone fractures and uh, broken bones, even where they, the person you know, is their, their limb or broken arm is put in a cast and uh, they, they can still stimulate blood flow into the region and stimulate the muscles with these cotto bands uh, without like, you know, doing exercise and they maintain more muscle during this period of inactivity. And they also recover faster because of, you know, the increased growth factors that uh, get released into the uh, tissue. But, uh, but, but, okay. but, you know, you, you, I personally find them also useful for, you know, muscle hypertrophy as a thing. Uh, so, I would use them for both goals. Um, so I think they're pretty uh, awesome. And especially if you don't have access to like heavy, uh, heavy gym equipment. Mm. Now, so, so can you, can, I mean, this is going to be a stupid question. Can you only use them in your arms and your legs or is there like some kind of an adaption for the chest or what? Uh, no, they do go around only the, uh, the arms and the legs. Um, so you can, you can do like, you know, push ups with it, uh, or you can do like shoulder press, or triceps push down, but uh, they and they do will work like a little bit of the chest, but the, the main uh, region that they focus on is the arms and the legs. Okay, Where I think you... Joe McCola is a is a big fan of blood flow restriction training, and he says especially for older athletes who mm. who can't do the heavier weights, it's a great way for you know the older generation to make sure that they're maintaining their muscle mass as it does stimulate that hyper hypertrophy growth. Um, so again, if you cut, you know, if you don't have access to large weights or you just using bodyweight exercises, or if you are just, you know, slightly more fragile in your older age, it's a great way to maintain that muscle mass, maintain, you know, as you, as you know, muscle mass and longevity are very strongly correlated. So again, it's, it's just great for overall health when, you know, if you're applying that, that approach as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, you have a new book out which sounds very, very cool. I am uh, down in Guatemala, so it's uh, virtually impossible to get hold of books down here, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, Stronger by Stress, that's a super cool name. And um, what's, what's, what's this book about, Sim? Yeah, well, it, it covers these beneficial stressors, um, like hormetic stressor, hormesis describes the uh, you know, positive beneficial stress that in low amounts is beneficial, uh, but in large amounts can still be harmful. So these different, uh, you know, exercises, an example of this hormesis, uh, fasting, saunas, cold, and other, other things as well. So the book is just about uh, the concept of hormesis and uh, how do you implement these different uh, strategies for becoming, you know, healthier, stronger, 
uh, more resilient and uh, yeah, anti-fragile. Okay, that's super cool. And um, what do you know much about? Like, there's you know there's there's a concept in this biohacking space about stacking your hacks. Hmm. So it's like combining one or two or three you know so-called beneficial habits to do them all at the same time um to you know to have maximum benefit in 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 the least amount of time do you do you know much about the science behind doing these things together so for example i know it's it's a fantastic idea to do your meditation while you get your red light therapy but now that more and more people are getting into cold cold exposure saunas red light therapy and fasting is there anything that we should be aware of you know, can we, can we, for example, can we do a sauna and red light therapy? Can we do cryo and red light therapy? Do you know anything about that? Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I can give you like an example uh, that uh, like, uh, you know, you, it is, it is like a pretty good idea to, let's say if you do sauna, then it's also too good to do it in a semi-fasted state. Uh, because uh, first of all, like the sauna itself or the heat stress is going to release growth hormone which is, you know, lowering the catabolic stress of fasting. And uh, basically, you're going to burn more fat and uh, lose less muscle if you uh, do sauna in a fasted state. Uh, but at the same time, the fasting can also protect some of the negative side effects of uh, too much heat. So uh, during heat stress, you do like release or you do release certain, you know, signaling molecules such as like heat check proteins that repair damaged proteins and, you know, mediate some of the benefits from the heat stress. At the same time, you also release some other uh, like negative things like these stress granules. And uh, if, those, if those things begin to accumulate in large quantities, then that can you know, make you more susceptible to some diseases. Uh, but you can eliminate that with autophagy. Autophagy gets uh, stimulated with the heat, but it also gets stimulated with fasting. So if you basically go in a sauna while you're fasting, then you have higher autophagy, which will kind of actively eliminate these are uh, negative byproducts of the heat stress. Um, so yeah, it's a kind of double win that you get the increased growth hormone from the sauna that's going to protect against the also catabolism of fasting, while at the same time, the fasting itself will protect against the negative side effects uh, of the heat. Okay. And what about, what about cold? Is there, is there anything that people can do, you know, if they're, if they're doing, they've got a cold exposure practice, is there, is there like another example you can give of combining hacks in that way does would fasting be good for that as well or is that a different story um yeah well the cold also releases those same stress granules and uh you know autophagy can eliminate it as well uh, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you do have to do it like in a strictly fasted state but i i really think that it it should mean that you shouldn't do it with like a full stomach uh, or like right after having eaten so maybe Waiting at least a few hours after meal is then when you should do like a sauna or a cold. Uh, but you know, doing uh, doing the colds in a in a fasted state is also fine. And uh, like you know, fasting promotes the ac activation of brown fat, and so does the cold exposure. So uh, there may be somewhat of a more more uh, fat burning effect if you do it in a, like a fasted state. Mm. What's your thing, thoughts about doing cold exposure after training? Obviously, you know, you don't want to blunt the, you know, the stress of exercise and the growth factors there. Is there a threshold people should not breach, especially on that? Yeah, there is some uh, like research uh, showing that, that it may not be the best idea to 
like blunt the inflammation right after exercise, mm -hmm. especially if you're doing resistance exercise. Uh, but uh, it may depend on like how much you're doing, like maybe like a short cold shower wouldn't be a problem. But if you're going into like the ice bath for like 10 minutes, then it probably will just shut down the inflammation and uh, inhibits some of the muscle hypertrophy signal. Uh, so what I would, what I personally do is like, I don't do any colds after my resistance training uh, because um, like uh, if I were to do the cold, then I would do it like maybe in the morning or like after cardio because uh, it doesn't appear to interfere with the cardio vascular um, adaptations as much because uh, with, a, with the muscle growth itself specifically is the information that is part of the signaling mm. for the uh, increase of uh, muscle. muscle. So, and so that's why you need some of the information. And uh, yeah, like I would uh, do the code only uh, after cardio or um, in the morning to kind of lower information. Mm. That you need, you need to, it sounds like you need, to, you need to create quite a bit of a time gap between those, um, those different... Those yeah. different stresses i'd imagine yeah like you know i would m maybe imagine that you know at least like a few hours maybe like six hours is probably something that you would want to aim for at least and mm. uh, you know optimally maybe eight or 12 hours that's mm. what i would do anyway. I actually yeah i mean i agree with you i remember mark sisson a long time ago wrote either i read it on one of his blogs or i heard it on one of his podcasts but he was saying the same thing about like, you know, going, doing your workout and then immediately after your workout, taking a, a giant uh, protein shake that's, you know, high in protein, high in carbs, because you were saying the same thing. He was like, well, look, you do this workout, okay? So you stimulate all these, like these growth hormones and all that through your workout. But then if you go and take your protein shake straight away, you're basically switching off that uh, muscle building response and you're turning on digestion. Because it's got to then divert all the energy and, and whatever else to the digestion part. So he recommended that you know sometimes you stay fasted after the workout. Mm -hmm. Do your workout and then just take care of something else. Then maybe four hours later you have a meal. Mm. Is that anything that you've thought about or written about? Uh, yeah, certainly. So I think uh, it depends on um, how long have you been fasting for and what your goals are or like what kind of a workout did you do. So I've I personally like. I haven't noticed any negative side effects to fasting after a workout if I do like cardio or if I do like blood flow restriction training or something easy uh, because the kind of stress from that workout is uh, relatively small. And uh, but I do notice like if I'm if I like fast after a workout after after having done like resistance training heavy weights, then I may notice like you know at least I'm not going to progress as fast as I could um, if I did have like something uh, relatively close after a, a workout. Because I also like workout, you know, like a semi-fasted state. So um, yeah, if you if you ate something before the workout, then you don't really need to worry about you know jogging down a protein shake right after uh, finishing, uh, because you already have like some protein and amino acids in your bloodstream from the previous meal. But if you do work out in like a fasted state, then I would recommend to you know at least at least you know maybe like four hours is the maximum that you could get away with. Mm. Um, but optimally, I would say. You know, two hours is uh, something that uh, would be like a safe uh, range when you should uh, eat at a workout. I remember when I was a when I was a young dude, <laughs> and I was like, you know, way before like biohacking or any of that. I didn't know anything basically, and I was going into the gym and just working out in the gym with whatever I thought was the best thing to do. And then I remember there being this like, at that time, the rule of thumb was 
you have to have you have to take your protein shake within half an hour of finishing your workout because this is you know this prime window for for carb uptake or, or whatever else is that um, is that still true yeah that's it is that still true <laughs> well yeah it uh, refers to this anabolic window uh, but I, I think it also depends on um, again like what did you do beforehand and what your overall diet like so it may it may be wor- it may have like an effect if you're in a very severe calorie restriction uh, like you're already malnourished or you're deprived of calories and especially protein but uh, but it wouldn't matter if you're like eating a sufficient amount of calories and you're already eating like a relatively higher protein uh, diet so it's not going to be that effective mm-hmm. then um, but you know but at the same time if your goal is absolute maximum muscle hypertrophy then um, that's why one part of the reasons why like bodybuilders eat like six times a day is to just spike the muscle protein synthesis as frequently as possible. So if you have like one meal or one spike of that coming from a protein shake after a workout, then uh, it kind of checks the box, checks the box, box uh, at least for this one, one meal. Uh, so it depends on the goal and who you're talking with. But for the most people, most, most uh, average people, uh, they don't probably see a huge uh, difference unless they are, let's say under eating uh, calories or protein. Okay. Brilliant. Um, and is, do you do you ever see anything like you know if you're if you are spending a bit of time on Instagram or you're jumping around on YouTube videos or whatever, do you ever see anything that you think is like that's a bad idea when you see someone doing like two biohacks together or or trying something new? Is there anything that's maybe there's something that's trending right now that you're thinking this is not a good idea? Uh, well, there's always like you know these gym fails of people doing exercise on a balancing ball or something of like that. So I think like, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, real world benefit to doing those things. Like you could, you know, train balance and you could train strength, but uh, it's probably not the best idea to combine it. Like you can do it separately mm. and it'd be even more safer. Mm. Mm. And maybe like I would also add like these just overall trend of uh, with intermittent fasting, for example, of trying to fast as long as possible sort of thing. And mm. that's also like something not, uh, you know, really, there's not a real reason to do it if you're already doing uh, intermittent fasting on a regular basis or you're eating like a good diet and you don't need to like go on this very long, like especially like this is very long fast, like 10 day fast or uh, 12 day mm. fast or something. Uh, maybe like an occasional two or three day fast is good, but you probably don't need to fast any longer than, you know, five or seven days. Mm. Mm. And one thing I may also add is like, all like the eat like just with like keto and carnivore diets you know i I agree that cholesterol and saturated fat themselves aren't necessarily harmful but if you eat those foods um, or those uh, nutrients ingredients uh, in the context of like the standard american diet with you know processed uh, vegetable oils and refined carbs then they probably will be harmful because that's the kind of the recipe of the standard American diet already where you're eating this high amounts of carbs and fats together but it's not that meat and uh, you know eggs and cholesterol are bad it's just that they are bad if you eat them together with these other foods. And it's better to, mm-hmm. if, you, if you do eat those foods, then make sure you don't eat these other inflammatory foods that will oxidize the fats and oxidize the cholesterol and uh, promote mm-hmm. you know, atherosclerosis. So if you eat like, you know, these keto foods, then you probably would have to do it when like a lower carb uh, meal and mm-hmm. not with uh, these inflammatory oils. And that's you know that that could be another podcast in itself is is the is the the processed keto food <laughs> that is now coming out you know I mean when I, I remember when I first started going keto like everything I've ever done you know when when I was vegetarian 
when I was uh, bulletproof and then keto and now keto carnivore, like it's always just whole foods, natural whole foods. You know, when I was eating a little bit of vegetables, I was just eating vegetables and uh, fat and meat. That was it. Uh, but then very soon after I went keto, which is, you know, nearly three years ago now, then, then, you know, obviously the whole world went keto and then all the keto treats started coming out and all the keto processed food, like the, the little fat bombs that you can kind of <laughs> buy in the supermarket and take away with you. And I was like, this, this is not going to be good, man. You can't, you can't package up whole foods and put them in a bag and then still call them a keto, keto something, you know? And mm. I was saying to, um, a friend of mine the other day, I did a, I did a podcast with um, a guy called Coach Jay Matos. He's a, he's a keto coach down in Panama. And when I was with him in Panama, actually, there was, you know, someone came up to us and gave us this whole selection of this keto bakery treats, like all these keto donuts and keto chocolate chip cookies and whatever else. And the ingredients is like on paper, the ingredients is like, okay, this is almond flour and whatever, sugarless this and whatever that. But as soon as I ate it, my brain still thought that I was eating candy and my brain, my cravings just kicked in instantly. Mm. And I was just like, this, this can't be good, man. Right. If you're trying to go keto and you're eating these keto snacks, it's, I, I felt that it was still messing with my brain. Right. Well, I think, uh, I think they're better uh, than, uh, you know, uh, the alternative or the already, you know, it's, they're better than regular candy bars and regular donuts or whatnot. Yeah. So they are like, I do like it. They provide like the alternative and uh, you can still have your cake and eat too, figuratively <laughs> speaking. So, you know, uh, but, but at the same time, like um, the problem isn't the food and the problem is more like the relationship with the food or the attachment to foods because uh, like yeah. I can, uh, like I, I can, I, I know many people who can eat like these, uh, you know, junk foods and they're fine. They don't get the cravings. Uh, they don't get like these massive swings in their mood or whatnot. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a part of like, because if you are like on a very restrictive diet, then you occasionally have something off the menu, something, you know, very treat, something very tasty, then you do experience this massive hedonic response because you're not used to it. Like it's, it's actually like a normal physiological response. Like a hunter gatherer, if they come across a beehive, then they're going to eat the entire beehive <laughs> because uh, they haven't had like sugar and honey in uh, months or weeks. So uh, it's a very natural thing and it's supposed to happen. So uh, that's why I, do, I don't think it's a very, like, well, at least like I personally don't prefer to be on a, like a very restrictive diet for the rest of my life uh, because I'm, I think that uh, these foods are bad for me, so to say. Whereas in reality, mm. it's just a matter of uh, moderation and, uh, you know, not being, let's say, too stimulated by them. So if you're used to having them every once in a while, then you also avoid this, you know, trap where you are in a, like binge or a craving a trap mm. sort of so you can avoid it if you let's say have your cake every once in a while 100 <laughs> mm, mm. agree and and like you say it's also beneficial for you know to spike that blood sugar every now and then just to spike that growth hormone yeah exactly um how do you treat or, or how do you handle manage your social life i mean do you go out in your town or on your island regularly and when you do go out, are you still full on 100% sticking to your values or are you just chilling out a little bit? Uh, well, if you mean by my values that, well, I, I don't like, I don't uh, drink alcohol. Uh, I don't do drugs. I don't smoke cigarettes. So uh, like, I don't have like uh, these kind of temptations and uh, like the people that I, you know, communicate with, they're kind of fine with it. Uh, I don't. I don't like, you know, judge other people for doing it. Uh, I just uh, prefer to do it. I, I like it. 
to be like it's also a challenge sort of say if you're um, you know forced to go into social settings uh while being sober then it's it's a uh, harder for, for a little bit uh, but it's also like more fun in some aspects like, um, mm. it's another kind of fun game that you can play uh but yeah i think it's it's good to you know break the routine around around as well but um and again, it can be like a form of dysphormesis or this anti-fragility that if I do go into like a nightclub without my blue blockers, <laughs> then I can still like, you know, I can, I can like deliberately yeah, disrupt uh, the circadian rhythm mm. and I cannot be like distraught about it. And so I can practice like this mm. stoic uh, mindset so that I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not like, I don't need my blue blockers or I don't need to have my eight hours of sleep to be happy or mm. uh, functional. Mm. And then, so let's let's say, for example, because I'm I'm finding that because I have got a pretty strict schedule right now, and that is that I go to sleep at about eight thirty p.m. and I wake up between four and five. I wake up between four and five, but then I kind of get out of bed at like five fifteen, something like that. And I'm just I, I I think that when I go back to like quote unquote the real world, because I'm I'm in a very small little town. And when I go back to the real world and I have to, for the sake of, you know, socializing and, and shifting my sleep patterns, um, do you get into bed then, let's say after a nightclub, the once in a while nightclub session, do you get into bed like wired? Can you feel, you know, the, the artificial light? Can you feel that your melatonin is seriously stunted? Uh, yeah, I do notice it like a little bit. Uh, so uh, like the blue light, especially. So your eyes are kind of like fired up a little bit. Um, Mm. I think it's just that they, it's not that I'm like hypersensitive to it. It's just that other people are very used to it. So other people don't know the difference, mm. <laughs> what it feels like to block out blue light. Uh, and, you know, mm. if you do it like on a consistent basis, then you notice the difference. Uh, but I don't find it difficult. I, I, I don't find it that it affects my sleep in a negative way. Like I can still fall asleep relatively quickly uh, because like, you know, if I were to be out uh, late, late, then uh, I would also probably, you know, walk around a lot more so i'd be like tired physically so it kind of just mm. imposes another stressor because it, like i i i kind of um i can probably like sleep, fall asleep in basically any position or like in any in any like environment like I, I can fall asleep in an airplane i can fall asleep in a ditch somewhere i can fall asleep uh in, in, in a, like a very a loud noisy environment on the floor or whatnot so i don't like oh, I, wow. I personally don't need like a you know, fluffy beds or uh you know blankets yeah. to fall asleep yeah okay you're lucky i had a friend that um i swear to god man every time we got on a bus he'd fall asleep <laughs> and the bus the bus ride was like five minutes and he'd, <sighs> he'd fall asleep i'd be in the middle of a conversation and i look at him and he's sleeping yeah <laughs> unbelievable that's amazing i think i was the total opposite so i've always been a, a poor sleeper since i was a child basically and i the reason I got into training so much and doing like extreme triathlons and Ironman and things was because I needed to build up the sleep debt. Mm. I needed to like create myself, you know, train myself to exhaustion yeah. and then I'd go to sleep within, yeah. you know, 20, 30 minutes. Whereas now by respecting circadian rhythms, by using blue blockers, by, you know, getting morning sunlight exposure, I've got my latency down to under 10 minutes, like quite frequently now. And again, that's like pretty optimal. And so for me, I didn't know how, how responsive I was to light. And then all of a sudden, blue blockers using red light as well in my environment, boom, mm. sleep just improved dramatically. Yeah. Like, it was like, I was, I was surprised, but you shouldn't be. That's what we're wired to do, isn't it? To mm. listen to those light cycles and, and respond to it. Yeah, like what I think uh, one of the things that you said uh, is exactly the reason I think I fall asleep so fast is like I build a lot of the sleep depth. So I am physically active, uh, mm. but at the same time, I also don't sleep 
very long if I do sleep. So I, like on most nights I sleep, you know, seven or yeah, like seven hours or something is my average. So I do have like a small sleep depth already by default. So uh, uh, that's why I'll, you know, maybe take a nap throughout the day, but I'll also be able to just fall asleep uh, faster uh, during the night. So I don't, I, I don't think, I don't remember the last time I slept for like nine hours or something. Uh, so usually it's only like seven. And uh, that's why I think um, my, my body just wants to fall asleep a little bit faster. Mm. Are you, um, I mean, COVID has obviously been for the last, it feels like COVID has been for our entire lives now. <laughs> But um, what about um, when you travel long distance? Have you got anything in particular that you kind of specifically do when you know you're going to be changing time zones? Yeah. Um, well, the, the only the, the kind of biggest thing that I focus on is uh, just fasting. Uh, so I always fast if I fly on an airplane or I go into like another time zone or another other place uh, because uh, that the fasting itself, first of all, it protects against some of the like radiation and the... Uh, EMF that you get exposed to in an airplane. Uh, secondly, also just kind of bolsters your. Um, I feel personally feel it bolsters like your immunity as well. So you get like less sick if I'm traveling. And um, lastly, it does kind of help with the circadian rhythm uh, adaptation as well. So if you you know land into a new time zone, for instance, if I go from you know Tallinn to LA, then um, like my my metabolism and circadian rhythms are in a semi-suspended state. And I can um, basically adapt to the time zone of LA faster by eating there, uh, because then my body receives the signal that is okay, it's daytime uh, in that time zone. Mm. So uh, mm. kind of uh, helps me to enter into that new time zone uh, more easily because of the fasting. So my metabolism, if I'm fasting, then my metabolism is just kind of waiting for 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 the food, and when it does arrive, then it kind of usually happens when you're doing daytime. So it kind of the body goes, okay, it's probably daytime. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I think we're almost ready to wrap up this podcast, unless James has any interesting questions he's left in his pocket. <laughs> no, I think we've covered everything pretty comprehensively. Thanks. Okay, um, what's what's the next big thing for Seamland? What's um, what's your next goal, or what's your next uh, fascination? Um, well, uh, at the moment, or is it is it top secret? <laughs> Well, I, I, I am pretty much wrapping up with my next book as well. And um, it's going to be co-authored with someone else. And um, yeah, it's going to be probably maybe, you know, around the end of 2020 or beginning of 2021. We'll see. But that's, that's what I've been doing for the last uh, month or so. Uh, but other than that, I'm still, you know, continuing on to just increase my, like, uh, like following and uh, yeah, just spreading the information. Cool, cool. All right, man. Well, um, we we finish off with a, a couple of quick fire questions, just uh, some little tidbits of information that we'd like to get from you. Uh, don't have to give it too much thought, but can you tell us if there's one piece of advice that you could go back to, let's say, a 13 year old seam? What would you tell it? What would you tell yourself? Hmm. <laughs> well, I think uh, probably for that time period, I would have said like, uh, don't be uh, like, uh, don't put like that much credit on the opinions of others or something that you mm. you probably shouldn't or it's not it's not uh, like uh, worth it to uh, 
you know, you should focus only on just improving yourself, not trying to fit into like the expectations of others or something. Because that at that time period, at that time period, like a you know, teenager or children, they don't have that much uh, like self awareness, um, especially like so you know awareness about how uh, social dynamics work or something. So uh, that, that's mm-hmm. what I would probably have said or given advice to. Okay, that's great advice. That um, your best or favorite book that made an impact on you. Um, well, my, I think my favorite book of all time is uh, Viktor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning. So, uh, yeah, like Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. Uh, he was in Auschwitz, a psychiatrist. And uh, he, he kind of uh, wrote the book about explaining why or how certain people uh, managed to survive those uh, situations because of they changed their perspective uh, on it and they kind of found some uh, like additional meaning. So... The other people who were thinking that they they were just suffering and that, that they were uh, just being uh, it was like injustice. Of course, it was, but at the same time, they were also they kind of uh, they didn't have like a bigger meaning to live for. Whereas the others who found this meaning, they kind of found more fire that kept them going. If that makes sense. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, that is a great book. Um, your favorite uh, bit of technology. That you're using right now it can be health related or something else mm, maybe the katsu bands are something that i enjoy the most uh well i've used like the o-ring for you know years so like probably the o-ring would be like my number one thing that i like to use just because of the you know data and the benefits it has on your sleep not necessarily wearing the ring but just getting like the feedback and knowing mm. how to tinker with it that's the good thing um but yeah, like my current, like for the past past few months, has been the uh, cause events. Cool. I'm definitely going to give those a try. And your best, I think I know what you're going to say with this, but your best or favorite hack or habits that you do daily or semi-daily? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, my kind of favorite thing is uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, but I also think uh like sauna is probably uh, equally as good um so yeah the sauna is a pretty awesome thing do you have a sauna at your house yeah yeah i have the uh infrared sauna and the kind of traditional uh, wooden 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 heat heat wooden uh, heated you've got sauna. two two saunas at your house <laughs> yeah which one do you use the most have interest uh well i use the infrared sauna more uh, because uh, it's heats up faster and it you know it's uh, like in and out <laughs> whereas mm-hmm. with the traditional sauna you have to kind of fire it up for like you know an hour at least or two uh, but you know mm-hmm. the feeling is better for the re- regular sauna but the infrared sauna is just a, like a good thing to do like on maintenance and as a, like a regular routine mm. beautiful so now james has got an amazing sauna seems got two saunas <laughs> Oh, everyone we talk to, they keep saying, oh, I love my sauna. I've just got a sauna. I love my sauna. And now I'm like, God damn, man, I need to get a sauna. And maybe I should maybe I should get one of those saunas that you can, those like little, what do they call it? A little personal sauna. Box. It's, a little it's bag. like a sleeping bag. You can like lay yeah. on the bed of this. And they're only a few hundred dollars. So I think uh, there's some, some good options out there. Yeah, well, you, you do uh, sweat then, probably there. Yeah, mm. I mean, I, that's true. I do. I was, I don't know who I was listening to. Maybe Rhonda Patrick, someone like that. But they were saying that like you can get an equivalent, um, well, I don't know if equivalent, but you can get a similar effect 
uh, as you can with a sauna just by training in a very, very hot environment or just being in a hot environment. You can stimulate yeah. the same kind of heat block proteins. Yeah, yeah, like exercise releases those uh, heat block proteins as well. And especially like uh, higher intensity uh, things or yeah, like just anything that kind of gets you sweating is going to do it. But, yeah. you know, yeah. a particular exercise that I find especially suited for that would be like the hot yoga um, you know mm. you're doing it in like a small room and you're sweating more so that because they um co what's it uh, eccentric uh, contractions um or not mm -hmm. the static holds the static holds uh, those are very kind of demanding on um, the nervous system and they also release more of these uh, heat shock proteins yeah. it's interesting i gotta do that and the very very last thing uh, we've been doing on our podcasts uh, just kind of a little bit for fun, but also because I think it's very important. I know you're a fan of Stoic philosophy. Um, so I read, I don't know, maybe you read it too, but I read the, the Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday and Stephen Hanselman. Basically, it's just a page a day of um, a little, little nugget of Stoic wisdom. So we kind of, I just read a short paragraph. And if uh, you guys want to, you know, comment or anything, then we're obviously welcome to comment. So today's topic is called Count Your Blessings. We regularly covet what other people have. We desperately try to keep up with the Joneses. All the while, the Joneses are miserable trying to keep up with us. It would be funny if it weren't so sad. So today, stop trying to get what other people have. That's like me trying to get sleep numbers like seen. <laughs> Fight your urge to gather and hoard. That's not the right way to live and act. Appreciate and take advantage of what you already do have and let that attitude guide your actions. I think that's, awesome. um, you know, that, that sounds to me like just like a gratitude practice, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 we might uh, think that you know, the grass is greener on the other side or something, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it doesn't, you shouldn't like really, well, that's what the, one of the core uh, teachings of Stoicism is that you shouldn't, um, let your happiness be dependent of these external things, whether that be, mm -hmm. you know, positions or even like other people or, you know, social gratification or whatnot. So you would always need, or, you know, even just your own, uh, you just being there would be, should be uh, sufficient for you to be happy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And it's, 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 that, it's that little shift of perception because like, okay, classic example. Now I was just saying, Oh, I'm so jealous. You guys both have saunas. And then I'm like, yeah, but I live at the beach. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I could think of 10 things that I'm like, oh, yeah, but I've, I've got it pretty good. You know, there's right. no need to, to worry about getting a sauna. Um, thank you, Seem, so much. It's been uh, absolutely amazing talking to you, as always. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, James, for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. As always, thank you. And uh, thank you to everyone who's listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, we would love it if you could leave us a little review, either on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. It really makes a difference. There's an incredible back catalog of podcasts if you want to catch up with some other amazing guests. And of course, there's always some amazing guests coming. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.